Hello, channel pros. Welcome back to the Channel Journeys podcast. I am Rob Spee, your host and partner ecosystem fanatic. Well, my bike riding has tapered off quite a bit, but I have a new goal. I'm trying to get my daughter as crazy about cycling as I am. We're just starting to ride together every weekend and have our sights on a spring training event in April. It always helps to have a goal to train towards. Lots of partner events taking place this time of year. Unfortunately, I won't make it to any of them. Just bad timing with other travels. But I know there's a lot of talk at these events about partner ecosystems and this new era of partnering. I'm seeing much greater interest in the channel and partner ecosystems, not just at Beyond Trust, but with all the channel chiefs that I speak with and the posts that you see from channel analysts like Jay McBain on LinkedIn. Do you ever wonder, is this just a fad or perhaps another swing in the pendulum? How can you make sure your company is truly taking partnerships seriously and improving the overall health of the company? I've got a fantastic guest today who answers those questions with some answers that may surprise you. Dave Taylor is the Chief Marketing Officer at Impartner for the second time and a second time guest on Channel Journeys. As you know by now, Impartner is the sponsor of Channel Journeys. With a global user base of over 4 million partners, Impartner is recognized as the global leading provider of partner management technologies. They specialize in cutting edge solutions for PRM, partner relationship management, as well as PMA, partner marketing automation. Their platform is built around best practices and sophisticated automation that enables partner teams like yours to quickly move from program operations to maximum time to value. And as you'll hear from Dave, they have some really exciting new features that are coming out. Okay, let's get to today's program. Are you ready to hear why the next era of partnering is here to stay? Let's go. Welcome to Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals that will enable and inspire you to create your best channel journey ever. Meet and learn from channel experts who share authentic stories of their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, Rob Speed, a channel chief on a never-ending quest for channel knowledge and adventure. Hey, Dave, welcome back to the Channel Journeys podcast. It's been a while. Rob, it's been a long time, not just since this, but I left even channel business for a while and went off and did a couple of startups, but it's fun to be back. Well, yeah, what kind of craziness is that, leaving the channel for startups? I, I can't believe that. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> And, you know, and they were fun and we had a couple of good exits out of them, which was really good. But definitely this is where my heart is. So it's good to be back. Well, I am glad you are back, back at Impartner. Great to see and great to talk with you again. So, Dave, a lot's going on in the channel. And listen to this. So Jay last week, Jay McBain had an article that he posted on LinkedIn. And it was talking about has, uh, has the news this week provided a glimpse of next era partnering? And he was talking about Dell Technologies announcing a new go-to-market strategy, compensating sellers more for indirect deals, and quadrupling the number of partner-led accounts. He also mentioned Rapid7 announcing a layoff, including hundreds of direct sellers, in order to drive efficiency and lean heavily into the partner strategy. And so I'm looking at this and reading this and wondering, is this really something new? Then I went back and I looked... In 2016, I wrote a blog seven years ago, and it was on why now may be the time for a 100% channel strategy. So that <laughs> was seven years ago, you know, and we seem to ebb and flow on this. So do you think, is this really the era or a glimpse of the next era of partnering or more of a knee-jerk reaction to a tough economy? No, listen, you know, you know, that's like saying, 
you know, this new business model that we've fallen into uh, in the hospitality space where, you know, hotels only do your room up uh, every other day and things like that. That's like asking, is that a knee-jerk reaction to COVID or is that kind of here to stay? I really think it's here to stay. I really do. I think people have found efficiencies in the model and, and they may use the, you know, pandemic as kind of a forcing function on it. But but I think the efficiencies are here to stay. In the channel, I think this, you know, slight recessionary period, I think that's the forcing function that is causing people to step back and reevaluate this. But the, the efficiencies they find in the indirect model, those are clearly strong enough that this is a trend that's here to stay. I love to hear that from the channel perspective, not so much from the cleaning my room perspective, though. I still like folks coming in. <laughs> but that is a great analogy. So if that's true, why should companies really build this partnering as a core element of their go-to-market strategy and not just an afterthought? So for me, I think it really comes down to two things, and I'll, I'll tell you both of them, but by the time I finish explaining the first one, I'll have forgotten the second one. But, but to me, it feels like the dialogue has finally leveled up within companies where rather than just looking at the channel programs and saying, hey, how efficient is our channel? I think people are looking at their businesses and saying, how efficient is our business? And there really is a dramatic difference in the go-to-market motion between direct and indirect. And, and you can only really recognize that when you back up to the macro level and look at what the P&Ls look like. And I don't just mean the P&L, but I mean the overall business health. Because, because I think really there's a different allocation of resources. There's a different cost structure. There's a different permanence to partners that are one. And so, you know, for example, you know, when you work with an indirect go-to-market model, your cost of sales tends to be lower. Your customer acquisition costs that take all your sales and marketing expenses and spread it over the deals that you win, that tends to be lower because you've got a partner community that's carrying some of those sales and marketing expenses. But it's offset by extra margin that you give to the channel. We see our own data that churn rates are different with partner one accounts. And, you know, it really, it's not just you know, hey, can I win this deal better with a partner or can I win it better direct? That's 10 years, five years ago analysis. Now it's what is the overall health of my business? What's my P&L look like? You know, what's the permanence of these customer wins that I have? You know, how, what's the overall health of my business when I embrace an indirect channel model? And, and I think people are looking at that and I think they're really attracted by some of the value. That's number one. The second thing is I really feel like the end user environment, I feel like end users in general have become more sophisticated in their purchasing processes. And I think they look for a different flow of information and decision making as they move towards purchasing solutions. It's not a product, it's a solution. You know, it's a you know, it's an overall, you know, solution from top to bottom that these the partners are building. And I think customers are looking more towards the partnering community for information pre-sales, for consultancy pre-sales, you know, for an independent voice in the sales process. And I think that, you know, that level of sophistication, I think, is another element of this indirect channel, you know, go-to-market model that, I, that really makes me think it's here to stay. I don't believe that vendors have the same level trust with the end consumers that that so-called independent partners have. And so I think consumers are going to continue to look towards the ecosystem to kind of help them make purchase decisions and architect solutions. I, I think it's here to stay. I think you're right. And you touched on both sides. It's the 
business side, the vendor side, which is the need for efficiency, and then the customer side, need for information, need for trusting resources of information, even during that buy-in cycle, let alone all the implementation work that they've got to do. Yeah, exactly right. And I, I sometimes use the analogy of you know shopping for a new car. And very few buyers of a new vehicle will walk into the dealership and say, hey, I'm in the market for a new car. Tell me about your vehicles, right? You do all of the research up front and you do all of your research and you read car and driver and you look for, you know, and you ask friends that have the vehicle and you do all your research because you know that the minute you walk into the dealership and expose yourself in a good way, pull back the curtain and say, I'm ready to buy you've pretty much made the decision and you're ready to enter into a negotiation. And I think sophisticated buyers of technology solutions today are doing the same thing. They're doing a lot of research before they get to your website and form fill on your request a demo form. And where do they go for that research? I think they go to your partner community. Yeah, I think you're right. And in that car analogy, unless that sales rep has some really valuable information for me, I want to spend as little time with him as possible. Absolutely. So Rob, the question is, in the buying a car analogy, how do you fit Tesla into that, right? Because there are no dealers to go to for information. So I don't know. Maybe I need a better analogy. Well, no, I think that works too because you go to friends, right? You go to friends you know that drive Teslas. What do you think, right? You're going to that network, that ecosystem of peers who can provide that information for you. Yeah. And online resources where, you know, car reviews and yeah. So, you know, I think it's challenging for established companies like Dell, Rapid7, other companies that have a very established direct model to then make that switch. Not impossible, but it's more difficult. If you can start with a clean slate, what would that look like? How would you build this? Well, I'm in the channel space, and so it's probably strange for me to say it, but I don't think you ever get to 100% indirect, right? Yeah. Because, you know, for in the first place, people don't typically start building out their partnering ecosystem until they've hit a certain level of revenue. The first one to five million of revenue you kind of need a direct sales team to do. You go to a partner and you say, hey, I'd like to recruit you to be my partner and to sell my solution for me. The first thing they want to know is, do you have any revenue? Well, no, not yet. All right, come see us when you hit the $5 million mark. So there's always an element of direct sales in there. And so, you know, I would start, if I was wiping the slate clean, I don't know, in your, in your scenario that you're setting up here, what's my revenue? Am I an established company, but I don't have a clean slate on in terms of go to market? Or am I starting fresh? As a company or? Yeah, let's say you, yeah, you're a startup, you got a couple million in revenue, but you've heard all about this partner ecosystem model, right? Everyone's talking about leveraging the partner ecosystem. And I agree with you, it doesn't have to be a 100% indirect model. There are other elements. So, kind of what would you build? How would you kind of build that integrated go to market strategy? Yeah. Well, look, I think the first thing that I would do, and this is going to resonate with other vendors, uh, either, either well or badly, right? Some won't like this. I would definitely build comp neutral strategy. I never want competition between my direct and my indirect. And my partnering program would be much more lucrative than I think a lot of people anticipate. I would try harder to balance the margin available between the vendor and the partner. I want my partners to make more money and be more successful. I think that right now, you know, partners live pretty heavily on a knife edge of profitability and a couple of lost deals. You know, in one quarter, if a partner generates a few deals, in other words, you know, they carry the sales and marketing expense to get the deal into the game and, and to push it along. And they end up losing those to either direct salespeople or a different partner. 
that can make the difference for them between a profitable and an unprofitable quarter. And I never want my partners to have that sense of how difficult it is for them to grow and succeed. I want my partners to make more money, really. Yeah. Thinking about a go-to-market strategy, and this is something that I'm working on at Beyond Trust too, is how do we get this partnering part of the go-to-market strategy? So it's really baked into the go-to-market strategy. It's not a it's not a separate, you know, we always joked about the channel being the redheaded stepchild. But now with the the need for partner ecosystems, the and the whole gamut, resellers, GSIs, service delivery partners, technology alliance partners, you know, how do you really bake that into the go-to-market strategy of the company? Well, you know, I hate to say it, but it it really comes down to the the kind of grind of building your program. I was at an event a couple of weeks ago where we had an opportunity to split up into subgroups and kind of craft a partner program from the ground up. And, you know, I'm not the world's most detail-oriented person, and I kept thinking, come on, let's get this over with and just go. But actually, the real devil was in the details on this partner program. And, you know, I think getting consultancy with you know, with one of like in partner, I've got a group of uh, partners that we work with, some that transact, uh, but the majority that are non-transacting, but, you know, consulting partners, you got to engage with somebody like that. You got to seek out other people's opinions. You got to talk to the partners that you can try and recruit and say to them, you know, what elements of my program do you want and do you not want? And then you have to go through kind of that grind of putting it all together into a coherent program. But there's you know, there aren't parts that can be skipped over. I can't make an assumption that I'm not going to have referral providers and go without that. You've got to take it all into account. To me, and, and Rob, you, you know, for, first of all, Beyond Trust is so fortunate to have you there because you know this stuff so well, but, but you know this really, really well. But one of the key decelerants to an indirect go-to-market model is conflict between direct and indirect, and even in indirect, conflict between different partners and different partner types. And, and the best way to do that is, you know, to get your delegates together in a room and draft up the Constitution and, you know, and try and anticipate what's going to happen over the next couple of decades of your business. Yeah. The rules of engagement. Is that what you're talking about? That's exactly it. Yeah. Here are our rules of engagement. And you're not going to get everything right. But if you can get, you know, most of it right, you're, you're off to a really good start. Yeah. Have you seen any good examples of how to keep your leadership team engaged in this? You know, as you're trying to get it, make it part of the comprehensive company strategy, you know, working with cross-functional teams and trying to get all the leaders engaged and aligned with that strategy. You know, we really do have a little bit of experience with that because as a vendor of partnering solutions, we do pitch senior executive teams all the time in you know, why they should care about this. I really believe that the biggest thing you can do, if you're a channel executive and you want to get your C-suite and your board on, you know, completely on board with you, you really have to speak a different language. You have to speak the language of the business. And, you know, and you can't, it's not more than maybe eight to 10 years ago that I was running channel marketing in an organization. If you'd asked me who my favorite partner was, I would have told you it was the partner that had you know, box seats to the Seattle Mariners because I used to love to go to the Mariners games. And, you know, we've gotten so much more sophisticated by then. And you have to track that level of sophistication with your C-suite. You have to speak to them in the terms that they're going to care about. I don't care if you've just grown from 1,000 to 1,500 partners. I care what the revenue production is. I care what the deal velocity is. Are they closing deals faster than my indirect team? So two metrics. Number one, what percentage of my total revenue is being 
generated, not closed, but generated by my partnering community? And what percentage of my partnering community's revenue do I own so that I have some influence? And I was going to say control, but that's a little bit too harsh, but influence you know, over, over them. And can I get them to focus on my business? And so, you know, understanding at that level of business speak, I think really is the key to getting buy-in from that executive team. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, as we expand our ecosystem, now we're moving into partner delivery and implementation. Now the C-suite question is, okay, what percentage of deals are being implemented by partners? What's the success rate of those partners? What's the return on our investment in enablement and certifications? You know, are, are we just training people for the sake of training? Or are they actually out there delivering success? Yeah. And I mean, what are you finding? Maybe, maybe you're not allowed to say, but are you finding a higher success rate or at least an equal success rate in terms of successful post-sales deployment and longevity of, you know, lifespan of the customer? You know, do their deals last longer? What are you finding at Beyond Trust? Well, I don't know if I should say this, but we're two months in on being able to track and record and report on that. I'm actually showing a slightly higher NPS score for the partner deliveries than our own, but it's a very small sample right now. So I got to be careful about saying that. But right now, if I can keep that trend going, that'll be a great indicator. Yeah. You know, I don't mean to make this kind of a product discussion, but, and a lot of times people will hear me talk about product and they'll say, oh, Dave, you only care about channel analytics because you sell a product that does channel. It's actually the reverse. We're doing products that, that manage and track channel analytics because we think it's important, you know, not the other way around. And we really feel strongly that the dashboards that these vehicles have been running with for so long don't really show the whole story. And so we're providing now tools and self-service dashboards where in the indirect go-to-market environment, Partners can put together dashboards from their perspective, and they can use it to track the success of the vendor. Or consultancies, you know, we have, we've got great partnerships with a lot of channel advisory companies, and they can build dashboards that they push to a vendor and say, these are the things that you should be tracking. Oh, I hadn't really thought about that. That's a good, you know, I mean, obviously, you've got the experience that you're saying to your company, let's track NPS scores on partner source deals. Not everybody has that level of sophistication. They don't necessarily think about that, but it's terribly, terribly important. Yeah, it is. It is. And there's so much power that you can get from your PRM and building it into that and the integrations that you do between your PRM and other systems like Gainsight for doing NPS scoring, that type of thing. 100% agree. And, you know, like I say, PRM, passionate about, we've done it for so long. But it's necessary, but not sufficient. It's good and transformative, and, and we love having one. But a lot of the solutions that we're building and selling these days kind of move beyond that. We've just launched referral capabilities that, that help people do kind of what we refer to as unmanaged referrals and things in an effort to map the tech to all of the different partner types that are kind of emerging out in the market from the perspective of the exact thing you're talking about. What are my NPS scores? What's the churn rate and partner deployed deals? Well, yeah, I think that's so important. You know, with the movement towards the cloud and SaaS, there's so much great product metrics that you can get now on, on product usage. And what you're offering is kind of the same thing. You know, it's, it's the channel usage and productivity of that usage and enablement through the tools that you're providing and any tools that are integrated with it. Yeah, and we started off the conversation by 
pointing out that I had gone away from Impartner for a couple of years to do a couple of startups and I'm back. And honestly, you know, one of the things that I love about being back is it's such a different business now. It's such a dynamic business. I, I really honestly remember the days when it was not very dynamic and, you know, and there wasn't a huge deal of insight. I remember one of the first channel programs I ran you know, we had a spreadsheet of all of our partners and the revenue they generated that quarter. And our PRM solution, our partner portal, was a Microsoft SharePoint drive with, you know, 20,000 documents on it and a HTML interface that we kind of hacked up for it. And, you know, and the difference between that and today is like the difference between marketing a decade ago and marketing today. Marketing today is so different and so dynamic and so digital. You know, the most important role in marketing teams these days can be marketing operations, understanding your tech stack, making sure everything's working together. Channel space, exactly the same thing. Channel operations, man, we should make that a title. <laughs> What's changed? What are some of the biggest changes you think that you've seen coming back, stepping back into it? Yeah, I think I'll, I'll speak both for us as a company as well as the vendors that we sell to. I do see vendors responding heavily to needing to enable their go-to-market, their indirect go-to-market partners, their channel, with information about their solutions and about their technologies, because really their partners are the first step in any customer journey of, of exploration. And it used to be just kind of TCMA or what we now call partner marketing automation, where I want to crank out a marketing program and I want to use my partners to kind of amplify my voice to the market. Now it's hey, I realize that people are a dozen steps down their journey before they even come talk to me. I better make sure those first dozen steps went really well. So it's enabling the partner community to represent your solutions the right way. I know this sounds really cynical, but partners get a lot of value from appearing independent in that process. They need to have an independent voice so that as customers start their journey and they go to the partner asking for information, they sound independent. I want to complement that independence with making sure they're saying exactly what I want them to say and, you know, and pushing the products that I have on promotion this quarter. And, and so it's that kind of dialogue between the vendor and the partnering community. I think a lot of sophistication has developed in that where people now, you know, they realize that they're not. Uh, you know, they're not all that, you know, the partnering community does play a critical role in those first dozen steps of the customer journey. And they've got to enable that. Yeah, for sure. Kind of sh shifting tax a little bit. So there's been a lot of talk about elevating channels and partnering at the vendor level to create this chief partner officer, chief ecosystem officer, an actual C-suite level position. And there've been a few companies doing that. Do you think we're going to see a lot more of that? Is it something that you think is a good thing that we should all be driving to get to that C-suite? Hey, listen, that's a hard question because I don't think that my answer is kind of in the popular opinion. It feels to me like a chief partner officer or, or extremely senior level owner of the indirect motion is a way of continuing to say these are separate. And I don't know that I agree with keeping them separate. So as an example, we're in partner has seen a lot of success these days in the manufacturing space. A lot of our a lot of our newly acquired customers, Vertiv and others in the manufacturing space, in dialogue with them, you know, I say, hey, uh, who do I talk to at your company that that really kind of owns your indirect go-to-market motion? And they say, oh, that's our CRO. Well, no, I don't want the direct. I just want the indirect. Oh no, that's our CRO. 
because they're really, you know, some of these big companies, they don't sell anything. You don't go to train.com to buy an air conditioner for your house. It's all done through indirect channels. And so they, they have one C-level executive that kind of runs that whole business. Why should that not be the case in SaaS companies, in tech companies? You know, it's like setting aside the channel and saying, okay, look, you're important enough to us that we're going to give you a senior level executive to kind of run that business, but you're still not our core focus. You know, you're still not our CRO running all of our revenue production. And, and to me, the ideal and the perfect solution for me is having all of that come together in one executive that owns direct and indirect go to market and has the ability to allocate resources back and forth between the two. That to me, that's the ultimate win. But I think, again, not, I think not everybody agrees with me on that. Yeah. And there's not necessarily any right answer and it varies by company, but I agree with you that it needs to be much more of a view it as an integrated approach, you know, and not separate. We just did something that I thought was fantastic. And, and we had channel ops sitting in one group reporting to me, and then we had sales ops reporting to another group and we've merged them. And now it's go to market operations. And we've got an awesome new SVP of operations who's got a total go-to-market mindset that isn't channel versus direct or indirect versus direct, right? It's just one view. And how do we make it all much more effective and efficient? Yes. Yeah, so Rob, that's, I really think that's it. I mean, what it sounds like what you've done is exactly what I would advocate for. Now, you know, all that being said, I do really enjoy seeing people get promoted to chief partner officer or chief channel officer, or, you know, I like seeing that promotion. Because it, to me, it is a recognition of the important role that they play in the business. But still, you know, it still feels like there's not the reconciliation of resources and the enablement of both. Like I said, you know, five minutes ago, I really think most companies will struggle to get rid of any kind of direct sales and go fully indirect because there's always exceptions. You know, but having one person kind of manage that means that your comp plans tend to recognize the value of both and your resource allocations tend to value the difference between the two. And, you know, when you go into it, a lot of times people turn to indirect channel partners as they're opening up new geographies. Hey, I'm about to start doing business uh, in Costa Rica, but I don't have any direct salespeople there. So I'm going to go try and find a partner. It, you know, all those decisions are being made by an individual that gets to kind of make that call rather than a negotiation between direct and indirect at every step of the way. Yeah, I think you want to always do what you can to break down those silos. Those are just killers. Absolutely. So here's another tough question for you, Dave. Do you have an opinion on this? In today's world of partner ecosystems, we've got all these different motions of different types of partners and, you know, pre-sales, sales, post-sales. What do you think is most important? Is it the partner originated business? What is the partner bringing to me? Partner-led business where a lot of companies have this definition of partner-led, you know, the kind of a combination of partner-originated and bringing a partner in a deal. And now I'm, I'm hearing in what Jay was saying in his article, partner-assisted, which is they could be assisting in the, you know, influence, in the transaction. Maybe it's just in the implementation. You know, it's kind of that more of that broader ecosystem approach. Yeah. You know, none of the above. I'll tell you what is the most important in today's world of partner ecosystems. It's building a reward program that recognizes all of those things. We just did a webinar um, with a Forrester analyst that talked about the importance of tracking sourcing of deals. And I would couple to the importance of that, how, how critically important it is to recognize where the deal originated and was it partner originated, was it partner led, et cetera, and building 
reward programs, and I don't mean, you know, here's a spiff type thing. I'm talking about margin programs that recognize that. And, and again, as we said in, you know, as we said at first, the devil's really in the details on this one, because if I get my, if I get my margin allocations wrong, I'm likely to disincentivize the one and overly incentivize the other. And so I think if you, if you were to assume that on a transaction, there's maybe 40 points of margin to be shared around. And, you know, and if the company keeps some of that margin to cover operating costs and the cost of fielding a team of developers to build the solution, and then offers some of that to the partner that originated the deal and some of it to the partner that uh, assisted on the deal, I think that's what's important. I think that the problems arise when the role of a partner in a transaction is not recognized and not properly incentivized. And so I would say, if, hey, partner A, if you bring me a deal that you originated, don't have it in my Salesforce instance, and you've got it in yours, and you can document that you originated that deal, you got 20 points of margin on that deal. If I already have it, and if my team has been working it, but you help me close it, I'll split that with you. You take 10 points, I'll take 10 points. If you just assisted on the deal, in other words, we generated it, and maybe even another partner closed it, but you played some role in that, I got three to five points of margin. I'm happy to allocate to you on a deal like that. And understanding the inputs and the outputs on a revenue attribution perspective, I think is what makes it really, I think that's the most important thing. Having said all of that, really partner originated is is the nirvana. That's what we all want. We all want, hey, stop bringing me consultants that only help with the deal. Start bringing me companies that have effective marketing campaigns where they can originate the deals. Yeah. At the end of the day, Dave, that still is it. And, you know, I love measuring and touting and sharing the huge numbers of partner influence. But at the end of the day, the CRO says, yeah, but what did they bring me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But uh, But really, I do think that you know, if you had to choose, you would definitely want to track the origination, you know, from your partners, because that's the whole point. What I think you end up finding over time, you know, kind of the typical partner life cycle that we see kind of play out is you'll onboard a new partner and that partner comes to you with a contact list. I've got 200 contacts that I engage with and that I work with. And you're going to work your way through their 200 contacts fairly quickly, trying to sell your new solution that this new partner is now repping to those 200 contacts. Maybe I've got a new firewall and they love it and they're going to go push it to their 200 contacts and 100 of them are going to buy it and 100 are going to say no thanks. Now what? Now where does that partner go, right? Does the partner have the ability to generate 200 new contacts? And they don't all, really. Bigger partners that have you know, digital marketing enabled teams of, of you know, marketing people, they can do it. They can build pipeline. They can kind of rebuild that top of funnel. But but by and large, partners sell through their, I was going to say Rolodex, but I think people listening to your podcast are probably too young to remember what a Rolodex is. But you know, people, partners are going to chew through their Rolodex quickly, and then they're going to kind of linger in your program for a while. And you've got to enable them to find ways to refill that top of funnel if they want to be kind of long-term revenue productive for the vendor. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Excellent. Well, while I've got you, Dave, we talked a little bit about this, but what's new at Impartner? Hey, listen, we got a couple of things I think you may really like, Rob. So, okay. So here, so here's one. Well, first of all, business is great. We're growing like mad. Business is really strong. But from a product perspective, we've got a product now. It's called Google Ads for the channel. And it's a tool that, well, I, so it does exactly kind of what we were just talking about. It helps partners refill their top of funnel. It refreshes their Rolodex because it enables partners to engage in 
this the last 10 years most critical most powerful demand generation tool which is digital media but it lets them engage in digital media without bidding against their vendors if i have a digital marketing team that are running an effective google ads campaign and my partners start bidding on the same search terms that i'm bidding on all we're doing is costing each other money as we drive our bids up exactly this google ads for the channel lets your partners engage with you but segregating their demand generation from yours. So I can geofence it. I can say, I've got a new partner in Denmark. And so every Google bid that we win in Denmark is going to go to that partner rather than to me. And that motivates them to drive an ongoing Google Ads campaign. By the way, not all of them know how to do it. So I'm even happy to do it for them. If they pay for it, I'll run it for them. But because I'm doing it on their dime or kroner or whatever they sell at your spend in Denmark, because I'm doing it on their dime, I'll push that demand right back to them with a nice closed loop revenue attribution system, right? If they have the capability of doing it, I'm happy to back off and let them run their own Google Ads campaign. So we can geofence it, we can time fence it. So I can say to a partner, look, you're doing business in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, where my company headquarters is. It's hard to geofence that. So let's do this. Every, every Monday and Friday, all of our demand that comes through that digital paid media goes to you. And again, I'll run the campaign on your on your behalf and using your money and you get all that demand. So really, we have research that shows that as much as 50% of allocated MDF, market development funds, don't actually get spent. And we see anecdotally partners getting to the end of a quarter and saying, oh, I've got $10,000 of MDF left. What should I do? Oh, let's get some coffee mugs that have our logo on them. And, and, you know, who benefits from that? Only the coffee mug vendors, right? This lets us say to them, hey, you've got $10,000 of unspent MDF. If you'll let me run a digital paid media campaign on your behalf with your $10,000, all the demand that comes from that will go directly to you and we'll track it through to close deals. So Google Ads for the channel, very, very powerful solution. We totally love it. We also have a new, a new piece coming out soon that's going to let our customers really, really deep dive into their channel analytics. I can't say anything about it because we're not launching it until next week. But really, it's a powerful, powerful tool that is going to let them build out dashboards to track every aspect of their channel business. You know, later in the year, we're going to make it more predictive. But for now, it's a really good tool for, for tracking the exact type of analytics that you and I have been speaking about. Well, awesome. That should be GA then by the time we launch this podcast. So I should probably tell you all about it then. Yeah, no, well, we'll, we'll get you back for that, Dave, but I'm looking forward to it. That, that's fantastic. Yeah. All right, great. Any last thoughts, Dave, kind of on this topic of the, the next era of partnering? No, I, I read a lot of the same you know, news that you read, and we do watch the environment. We definitely see the build out of marketplaces as being a huge, huge growth opportunity for partners to participate in. It, you know, a marketplace to me kind of lets a vendor and a partner community come together on more of an equal footing, which you know we're all about, and put solutions together that, that hopefully will have broader appeal than either the partners on their own or the vendor on their own. And so we love the build out of marketplaces, cloud-based marketplaces. We love that. Um, the build out of ecosystems, the kind of up-leveling of all different types of affiliates and influencers and referral providers. You know, one of our customers uh, is one of the largest accounting firms in the world. And in a dialogue with them, this is going back probably six months, in a dialogue with them, they expressed to me that 40% of their revenue 
comes from small tax consultancies in small, you know, offices where they'll go in to do uh, the tax returns for small businesses and they'll say, happy to do your tax returns. It's a little bit more difficult because you don't use, you know, this particular vendor's software package. If you buy their software, I'll knock 500 bucks off the return because it's that, it's that much easier for us. To, you know, so what do you call those people? Are they influencers? Are they referral? Because they don't refer, right? They just, you know, kind of nudge people. So it's fun to see all these different types of partners kind of emerging from the woodwork. And it's very, very helpful. I think the channel's in better space right now than it's been in a long time. Yeah, I agree. I think so too. It's, it's always, well, I always think it's a great time to be in the channel, but it really is. <laughs> now I mean it. I absolutely agree. It's one of the reasons I came back. This is a fun place to be. And as good as, you know, Jay McBain and other analysts are, as good as they are, I think really nobody has a crystal ball as to where this is going to go over the next five years, really. But it, it'll be an exciting ride. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, speaking of fun, what have you got planned? Anything, any more fun outings for you for the summer? Oh, I've got to get back up to Montana and get my sailboat back on the water out on our lake. I, I see all your sailing books back behind and I know you share that passion. I got to get my boat back out on the lake and sail around. Oh, yeah. Anytime out on a sailboat is good time. That's for sure. <laughs> yes, it is. All right. Excellent, Dave. Thanks for joining me today. Welcome back. Thanks for joining again on the Channel Journeys podcast. Great to have you. It's always good to be in the channel, and it's always good to chat with you, Rob. You know this stuff so well. Likewise. Thanks, Dave. All right. Thanks for listening to Channel Journeys. For show notes and other Channel Journey podcasts, visit channeljourneys.com. If you liked today's show, please forward it to your channel friends, and be sure to tune in for Rob's next channel adventure. All right, guys, there you go. Another great interview with Dave Taylor. These are some really valuable tips that will help you weave your partner strategy into an integrated component of your go-to-market strategy. You've got to think beyond the mindset of direct versus indirect and get into a much higher level of strategic business thinking. For all of today's show notes, just go to channeljourneys.com CJ121. You can subscribe while you're there. Thank you for listening. Thanks to our sponsor, Impartner. Be sure to check them out at impartner.com. I've got a really special episode coming up for you next. I'll be speaking with the Beyond Trust Chief Revenue Officer for his take on the next era of partnering and partner ecosystems. It'll be a great follow-up to this episode. Until then, have an awesome channel journey.